there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. A doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, I'm holding up a dancing version of the book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, for all y'all watching on YouTube. If you don't have a copy of it, it's Dr. Batar, Dr. Rasha Batar, Advanced Medicine Time. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Robert. How are you? Good. You didn't know your book could dance, did you? I did not know that. Yeah. Well, it's just doing a happy dance because it's bringing power to heal back to the people. That's why it's happy. And that's why we're happy doing this show together each and every week at this time of the week. So, astronaut DNA, do you have a twin brother we don't know about in space? Because if he comes back, apparently he will not be the same. Are you talking about, do I have a twin brother? Is that the question? <laughs> I wasn't talking to Superdog. I do not have a twin brother. Okay. That was a rhetorical question, but I heard the silence. I wasn't sure what was. No, no. Yeah, listen. Not only do you not have a twin brother, but you don't have a twin brother in outer space. So, we've solved that problem, but... Apparently, there is an astronaut who has a twin brother who went to space and came back, and they say his DNA is no longer identical to his twins who stayed on terra firma, which I do recommend, by the way, and I'll get into that if you want. The idea is our bodies were meant to be on this planet, and for those of you who are into the sci-fi fantasies of Star Trek and Star Wars, we love that too, but when we talk about science reality, our bodies are not going to be surviving long in the cosmic radiation of outer space. And that may be what's going on here, Dr. Bittar. What do you think? Well, I have a slightly different opinion. I think that there's an adaptogenic component going on here, which comes back to the entire concept of which we've talked about many times in the show and that I think Bruce Lipton made popular with the genetic expression being a factor of the environmental trigger. And I think oh, this sure. pure, completely and purely quantifies what Lipton was talking about and our entire philosophy that the genetic expression of, of what everybody calls the genome uh, is based upon environmental triggers and not based upon the inherent genetic code. Here you're changing the environment drastically, and yes. you're actually having a various type of expression of the genetic code. So that's why they're saying that the genes, the genes were different, uh, the DNA was different, but it's actually not different. It's being expressed differently due to the extrinsic um, environmental variants that the astronaut experienced. And when compared to his identical twin, it was, you know, whatever percentage difference it was. So I think this comes back to the adaptogenic, mutagenic aspect of our DNA. Mm-hmm. And David Wilcox who is the, he's written a couple of different books. Some people think he's out there in left he's, field. Hey, dude, he, listen, he's far out, man, but I, I dig him. I mean, he can, he can yeah. get into some stuff where it is anything uh, but not fascinating. It's not boring. It's very fascinating. So uh, what do exactly. you pick up in this regard with from Wilcock? Without, without a doubt. And, you know, I've read some of his stuff. He's the guy that uh, I actually attended one of his conferences, and he kept on staring at me for two out of the three days. He Every now and then our eyes would lock, and he'd kind of stare at me and, then you continue, and then in the middle of the second day, he mm-hmm. stops and he points to me. He goes, I know who you are. He goes, you're Dr. Buttar. And I'm like, 
I, I was a little shocked, you know, like, wait a second. Yeah. The first one he pointed to me, and I turned around behind me. He said, <laughs> he made the comment, I think I told you this before, where he said I was responsible for saving a billion lives. And I'm like, okay, I've never heard this one. I'm interested in hearing how, you know, what came mm-hmm. up. And it all came up to the H1N1 flu and, yeah. and the video segment that I captured from the Australian developer of um, the, the first antiviral, and where he talked about how H1N1 exhibited the swine flu, the avian flu, the, the various different characteristics of flus. But when you look at the the, the swine flu, there's a Eurasian strain and a American strain, uh, or America strain, North and South America strain. And uh, H1N1 actually has both components of both strains of the swine flu, which is impossible. Or maybe, I'm sorry, maybe I'm getting that confused with the bird flu. But anyway, one of the... No, it's, it's, it's a swine flu. It's a swine flu. Mm-hmm. But it's the Eurasian strain versus the America strain. You can't have, with an electron microscopy, it's like a surgical precision incision where they're both like put together, you know, like a, they're spliced. And that it was an engineered virus, in other words. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, um, and so anyway, I put that video out. You remember, Robert, when we put that out, when um, Obama came out and said that uh, 20% of the U.S. population would be dead uh, if people didn't take the H1N1 vaccine and right. that would have been 60 million people and people laughed about it. the only reason so many people didn't die was because people in mass refused didn't, to didn't take, take that it. yeah exactly yeah and so anyway that, that was what he was referring to but what was interesting with, with uh, what david wilcox talks about uh something like 15 percent of all human dna is alien dna it's not um it's not human in origin have you, have you heard him talk about that? It's actually in one of his books he talks about it, too. But he shows various skulls, for example, during, from the Egyptian times, and you're trying to figure out where these, where, what happened to these skulls. They're, they're human skeletons, but they're abnormally tall people, and they're elongated skulls. And it's not just one or two. There's, there's like, a lot of these skulls. And so he talks about the, the uh, skeletal evidence of extraterrestrial life here on planet Earth. And some of the other aspects, and again, I know this is getting way out there in left field, but you start. Hey, you know, at we have like, a certain percentage of our audience that like would just they live for this stuff. They're like, "Go, Doctor Matar! This I, we've been waiting for you to talk about well, this." But look at listen to this. This is this is what's amazing. If you take the pyramids, yeah. for example, mm-hmm. the shape of the pyramid. If you can duplicate the shape of the pyramid with the exact ratios with the with the pi, you know, one point six one eight ratios and, and the angles, and you take the, the, you take water into this uh, structure. Into the in the right pyramidal structure, and if you hit it with a one of those tuning forks, you can formulate instantaneous ice. They've taken lymphocytes and they've put lymphocytes within a pyramidal structure, and they have seen lymphocytes double and triple um, healthy lymphocytes, basically analogous to the immune system being stimulated. Um, certain healing components are accelerated exponentially when mm-hmm. put within a field that's generated just by being within the shape of a pyramid. In fact, I even thought about building a house with that exact, you know, ratios, with the, with the pyramid ratios. Now, mm-hmm. they, they, I'm sure there's certain cell resonant material that you can also build these structures with, but now you're starting to talk about, again, energetic uh, the energetic basis of how a building mass will affect your mass, meaning mm-hmm. um, mass equals weight times acceleration. So if you have your weight of, say, 155 pounds, 160 pounds, times acceleration, your mass versus the mass of a building that may be 5,000 pounds. So whose mass is going to be greater? Obviously, the building's mass is greater. So the building will have a greater effect. 
based upon its mass on you than you would have on the, on the building, meaning that the effect of the building, the energetics of the building will have a direct impact on your physical manifestation, your physical being, your physical health. And so it makes, a, uh, makes sense to now start to manipulate the housing environments. And this is what I did with my office. It's not the Huntersville Police Department. We had used all cell resonance materials when we built it. We had um, made the ratios of the ceiling um, to the ground, and mm-hmm. all, all the different, all the various aspects were all based upon the Fibonacci series that define really all recurring number series within, within nature. You know, it defines the reproduction rate of rabbits, the tides coming in, the um, all. In fact, aesthetic beauty, what we, what we as human beings think is beautiful, is all based upon the symmetry of the Fibonacci ratios. And so this is a recurring number series, and it defines various aspects in nature. And so we use the Fibonacci series to, when we design the building from, from high ceilings, doors, you know, hallways, lengths, widths, all this stuff. It's all numeric-based. But again, mm-hmm. it comes back to looking at the effect of the building on the individual versus the individual on the building. So if you have... If you're living in buildings that are healthy and your, um, you know, your clinics and your housing and your, where you sleep, they're all defined by optimized, um, optimized structure so that they resonate um, in, a, in a manner that's Dr. Bittar, you, you, listen, you're talking about a level of consciousness and, you know, over the sick building syndrome. Because, you know, people, we get to sick building, we talk about formaldehyde, right? You know, this kind of uh, d- different things that are coming up through it. You're taking it to a whole other energetic level to a culture that still goes to the drive through and orders a double cheese donut. You know? Well, so, double cheese Well, actually, this is an interesting point that when you start to optimize these aspects, Robert, yes. the formaldehydes and the outgassing and some of those things are rendered less destructive and don't they're not as potent anymore right there's some aspects of it that are actually just totally negated Mm -hmm. you you understand what i'm saying i know i I, listen i get this transformation of energy based on all of the the sequencing but it's always been a challenge to how do we go there right how do we communicate that how does it land because people are saying you know i just need a practical way to deal with my leukemia right we'll get a question like like that later this hour so it's a you know it's sort of like it holds hold in one sense it holds us back but perhaps you know the concept of, of of having such levels of awareness is so transformative that you're now splitting the earth in two you got the drive-through yeah. double donut cheeseburger consciousness and you've got what you're talking about it's like we're on the same planet how does this work well actually we talked about this last week or maybe two weeks ago where there's technology that's coming down the pipeline where just by having that being within that field of consciousness as defined by david hawkins you know you you're talking about um, you, you can actually negate pain, you can negate pathology, you can negate negativity, you can actually change many other aspects. So to, if, to answer the person's question, well, I just want a practical answer to my leukemia, there, this is a practical aspect to it. It's not practical in the sense that it's available right now at this minute, but is it going to be available within the next 30 to 60 to 90 days? Yes, it realistically is is if you can, if you can make it as practical as the drive-through cheeseburger, they'll go for it. They will go for it. <laughs> and I, well, I, I think I, I think we need to I think we need to remember, as Confucius said, for those who understand, mm-hmm. no explanation is necessary. For those who don't understand, no explanation is possible. So we yeah. can't worry about how the message will be received, Robert. I think we sure. need to give the message, and those that understand it, they don't need an explanation. They're gonna it's gonna resonate with them. And those that don't, no matter what we did, 
Oh, it won't matter. It wouldn't That's make any sense. Very good point. And, and on back to real briefly before we take our first break, the astronaut DNA issue. I agree. You know, you're in a different environment. You're going to express genes differently. Uh, I don't want to negate the, the reality unless we can fold space and time to travel through the cosmos conventionally, like we do with these rockets. We would. They don't even have the shielding yet to protect against the cosmic radiation. So you're talking technologies that are not acknowledged officially to exist. But in all the worlds of creation, all things are possible. Maybe they defy the explanation of our current scientific, uh, let's call it, um, I don't know, the platforms they won't let you go beyond. Stand by for more healing. It's Advanced Medicine on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rashid Bittar. Um, Can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert will be right back. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. All right, this next article, Dr. Vittar, I want to talk to you about has nothing to do with aliens, unless, of course, we all do carry some level of alien DNA, however you define that. That could be the case. And our, our, our UFO researcher listeners are just digging this show big time. Don't ever let Dr. Batar off the air. We love this. <laughs> hey, I'd have him on more, but he's busy. He's got to do some stuff, too. So we get you once, once a week for now. This is awesome. Now. The fit-sick phenomenon is what they're saying. I remember this, you know, when I was first learning homeopathy from my mentor. And he would observe people, and as I was going through, because I, you know, 10 years studying like you used to learn this stuff, Master Apprentice. And I would say, at first, when he looked at me and started telling me about the entire medical history of, uh, of my existence to that point, I thought the guy was a magic wizard of some kind. Honestly, that's the way it appeared to me, psychic, whatever it was. And, you know, as he said, he's a homeopath. I, you know, I laughed. I thought that was weirder than being a psychic. But as I observed him over time, I realized he had patterned or mapped out this because he had seen so many thousands of people over so many decades at that point that he saw patterns emerge and consistently the patterns would be consistent, for lack of a better way to say this. But we don't have doctors trained, even, you know, maybe homeopaths trained this way anymore, to where they observe at that level or taught type body typologies and see certain symptoms that appear to be innocuous and benign, but actually indicate something severe. Like, you know, that person looks perfectly healthy, even the doctor, and then the next day he's gone, dead of a heart attack, right? Could that have been identified by someone trained to identify it, even without taking a pulse? What do you think, Dr. Batar? Without a doubt. In fact, this is where some of the, um, I'm not sure how to define it, maybe some of the more esoteric fields of healthcare, like iridology and people that look at the tongue, the, the, the Chinese method of evaluating the tongue and looking at even the pulse. Some, some people can evaluate the sure. pulse and the, the various uh, nuances within the pulse themselves that they can pick up and make some type of uh, determination of the person's state of health. But the the health of the tongue, for example, or the nail beds, for example, or the iris, for example, these all give information that modern medicine, when I say modern medicine, I'm talking about the traditional model of medicine, not traditional meaning going all the way back to acupuncture, I mean traditional within the last 50 years, Yeah, that model of medicine doesn't recognize. And so it, it behooves us to look at these various methods of uh, evaluation and diagnoses, and it really comes down to being able to pick up the subtle nuances 
um, with observation and, and being able to, uh, like you said, recognize patterns. This is right. something that with heavy metals, for example, um, it became very, very clear to me, it became very obvious that patterns exist, but you have to have, one, sufficient data to actually start to see what the various population that you're, that you're looking at, you know, where, where you have to have an end that's significant enough that you can start to see enough patterns. Sure. If you don't have enough data points, you can, patterns won't right. emerge. They're, they're just that, emergent. You suspect or you might have an intuition about it, but to validate the patterns, even if it's just for your own uh, you know, comfort level to say, you know what, I'm definitive about this. I've seen this enough, right? You get so confident. Not cocky confident, but you're just confident because you've seen it so many times. You know what it is when you see it. And so it exactly. takes that. But but we don't have doctors, even holistically inclined. You go to naturopathy school, I don't think they're teaching you this. So this well, is something that is lost. I agree with you, but I don't think that they're also collecting the data that's necessary for them to be able to observe it. They just see the patients. Patients have seen as numbers. You process a patient through, you give them an herb or a pharmaceutical or whatever, and you kick them out the door and you go on to the next one. So nobody's really collecting the the type of data that's necessary because it's not encouraged. And those that are collecting the data, um, it's either manipulated or they're they're using it to promote some, you know, new pharma product or whatever the case is. I think in the the non-conventional fields or in – in the integrative fields or in the nutritional fields, maybe people are not looking. They're the modelers who sell more product. So people aren't really collecting the data. We have collected, I think we talked about this a few few shows ago, mm-hmm. we're um, over 9 million data points in just our heavy metal pattern, uh, heavy metal um, observations as far as data points that we've collected. And we've seen certain patterns emerge. And that's why whenever I'm speaking about the various aspects of heavy metal uh, toxicity and, and looking at hair fecal, RBC, and urine, as well as, in some cases, toenail clipping levels of mercury uh, and, and other types of metals. But specifically mercury, I'm using this for an example, certain patterns become clearly, clearly evident. In fact, we've done a couple of videos, and I'm going to get those videos online, where it basically defines the four different categories that people will fit into, meaning if you're toxic and um, and you uh, don't show any pathology versus you're toxic and you show pathology, Versus you don't show – there's four different categories, and it basically comes right back to what you talked about. I think we're coming on a break, so that's yeah, where I'm going to stop and right, give you stand, a – Stand by, folks. Again, the, the idea of a fit sick, you look healthy to the average untrained eye, even a doctor's eye. But do you need a biochemical analysis or is there a way to see it before anybody else does? We'll talk more about that after the break. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell. Robert Scott, the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. I just noticed that one of our longtime listeners watching on YouTube, Ronnie, doesn't have this book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. How is it that you don't have that book, Ronnie? You can get it at Amazon or probably a lot of other places. Do they sell it over at advancedmedicine.com or do you just send people out to Amazon to get the book? Um, actually, they will. Uh, it will be available at Advanced Medicine. The shopping carts and all that stuff are not being haven't been finished yet, apparently. But uh, you can okay. go to uh, the Ninth Steps dot com and get it there, and get get some DVDs for free too if you get the book from there. 
Okay, excellent, excellent. Now, you were trying to describe something that we experienced at the advanced medicine seminars that you were given. I was able to attend and, and deliver some info as well, too. And it was like a four-category scenario, and it, and it plays right into this concept of fit-sick, right? The observation on first order looks like, hey, that person looks like they're just fine. Then you find out below the surface there's a lot of stuff going on, and you kind of set it up in four categories. I don't know how you can do that auditorily without the visual, but we'll try. Well, think of two columns. Think in the left column is the healthy column, and the right column is the unhealthy column. And then draw a horizontal line across that uh, in the middle. So now you've got basically four quadrants in a square. So on the left side, on the top left quadrant, would be the healthy person that has measurable toxicity. And then below that, you have the healthy person, but when you measure them for toxicity, there's no toxicity. So left the left column is healthy, on the top left is healthy, toxic. The bottom uh, left is healthy, not toxic. On the right-hand side would be the same thing, except it would be the unhealthy category. So an unhealthy person, that's toxic. And then unhealthy, the bottom right would be unhealthy, that is not toxic. What's important to remember here is that non-toxicity does not really mean whether the person is non-toxic or not. It just means whether our tests are um, sensitive enough to pick up the toxicity. For example, when you do a heavy metal challenge test on a person and you see a lot of metals coming out, people go, oh, my God, I've got metal toxicity. Well, that's true, but remember, those tests are only measuring what's coming out, so the fact that it's coming out is a good thing. The problem is when you have a person that comes in that's ill, that's unhealthy on the right-hand column, they're unhealthy, and they show non-toxicity in the lower right-hand column. Mm-hmm. They show they're, they're definitely unhealthy because they've got cancer or heart disease, but when you measure them, they don't show any toxicity. That is the worst case scenario because that individual is not putting out the metals. Remember, the test only shows us what we're, what we're measuring that's being pulled out. It doesn't show us what the total level is in the body. So when you do the test on two people and one shows a lot of metal toxicity and the other one doesn't show any metal toxicity, which one should you be more concerned about? Well, it all depends. If they're both healthy, then I would say probably be more concerned about the healthy person that's showing the toxicity. But if they're both unhealthy, I would be more concerned about the ones who are showing no toxicity because that person clearly has the inability to excrete the, the poisons or the toxic substances that are within right. the system. And, and your point, did I just like... Oh, no, no, no. I've got it visually. I even held up the little chart. I just made it ad hoc on my show notes page, and I held it up awesome. for the video. But the, the idea here is, I agree, I saw that as my, my point. Uh, which I brought up earlier, and you just made a great illustration of that, is that the person who looks healthy, that apparently, well, has toxicity, but is not excreting. And you're like, that tells you internally there's a battle going on, and they could end up one day dropping dead inexplicably. The doctors will say, we don't know, we have no idea what happened, because they don't look at toxicity as a model for disease. In fact, they look at every disease as, a, as, as evidence of a drug deficiency, which is a toxicity deficiency, ironically, that would suppress right. <laughs> the body's appropriate response to the toxins, right? It's bizarre right. the world we live in sometimes, Dr. Batari. Talking about UFOs is the sanest thing we can do. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Because that drug that they're going to use, that they think that it's actually a, a deficiency of that drug, is actually yeah. inducing a new toxicity and a new imbalance. Yeah. So you're creating a relative imbalance. This is one of the things that, if a person has X level of whatever, this is, we even see this in, in, um, in the natural um, integrative fields of medicine, too, Robert. Mm-hmm. I've seen people see they measure a level of a mineral, 
and they say, oh, this mineral is low, and then they start giving that mineral to the individual. Well, the problem is that mineral may be low in that vector that you're measuring it. If you're looking at hair versus urine versus you know, fecal versus RBC, these are all different vectors. So intracellular levels of minerals, I never look at the intracellular levels of minerals simply because they're so dynamic. They're constantly fluctuating, and to look right. at that and then try yes. to adjust it is like trying to, a dog chasing its tail. Yes. So to try to give a person a mineral and not understand which vector you're measuring it in, will cause a relative deficiency of other minerals by giving that individual more of whatever you've measured to be low. Meaning that if it's selenium, for example, and you give the person more selenium, but you're not recognizing the vector that you just measured in, by giving them other minerals or by giving them that selenium, you're going to make them relatively deficient in the other minerals that, that are in balance with the selenium. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, we've discussed on this show many times, uh, not, not necessarily all the time when you're here, but the iron issue, right? When they test it in the blood and they say, oh, it's low, you're anemic. And they never, you know, talk about cofactors like copper that makes, you know, the metabolism will go. It's not just iron. It's the iron-copper relationship that makes it available. And there's so much iron in the system. It's very rare to have a true iron deficiency, if you will. But again, they only measure one vector, to say, so to speak. And that's a blaring example but it often is overlooked in the medical field and even in the holistic field very often. So to your point again, this is we're real, I'm just digging it, as I always do. Now, Ron A says, Dr. Batar makes us think outside the box, look out, TMB. So he says, look out, Ty. Super. <laughs> it's, it's like it's not enough what you're doing. Everybody's going outside the box with you now, too. You're taking over two days of the week. Well, I didn't mean to step into Ty's uh, Billy <laughs> Hank uh, arena there, but uh, I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> Yeah, no, but it's it's really an important discussion to have, and I love that we can bounce these ideas, and they make sense. And, in fact, they make more sense by bouncing them this way. We can see them visually, and, and you know, we've come to these things through different pathways, but we've come to the same or similar conclusions. And those of you out there, you feel it. If you don't understand it intellectually because you haven't gone through the, the medical training, it's okay. You can resonate with it energetically. You can feel it and go, uh, you know, that absolutely feels right, and that means sometimes more often, more importantly than what you cognitively think about it, because that can be altered. It, it's always going to be more important, Robert. In my opinion, it's always more important what resonates with you. It doesn't matter what your level of education or training is, because that's something that, um, that isn't speaking to your soul. I mean, that, that universal consciousness, you know, that intuition, the gut feeling, the sixth sense, that's God talking to us. That's our creator talking to us. So that's more important than anything. Yep, yep. Now, when we talk about um, the walking wounded, one of those uh, concepts is applied in what's called adrenal fatigue. And there's a, a medical article here we have from Baylor College of Medicine saying that there's a myth behind adrenal fatigue. Is, is it real? Is it fake? Are they going as far as dismissing it altogether? Or are people often saying it is what it, that's it for everything and it's not everything? I'm just trying to grasp the idea and concept of adrenal fatigue, what it is, what it isn't. You're asking me what it is, Robert. I mean, I know you know what it is. You ask. No, no, yeah, I'm getting you. your perspective on it. Because the ball up there and want me to slam it through the hoop. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, to do? do a slam dunk for me, Doctor Batar, because there, there's an article try that's confusing people, saying it's a myth, it's not real. Why don't we talk about the article first, and then let's talk about that? What do you think? Sure, sure, yeah, absolutely. And so uh, I think they're concerned here, maybe if I could call it a concern, warns about taking the term at face value because you might end up doing the wrong thing. I don't know what that wrong thing is. Are they arguing for a drug model, or are they arguing at all for nourishing adrenals or glands that have truly become exhausted or, dare we say, intoxicated and therefore are impaired in their function? 
you know, there's a medical model that would say there's no such thing as systemic candida as well. So, you know, when I hear these pronouncements, I'm just like eh, a little, uh, you know, grain of sand. It's kind of bothering me. Well, let me, let me, I think I know where this is, this uh, article was going. And I think that there's a lot of validity to this because a lot of the hormonal doctors, the ones that are using bioidentical hormones, and they talk about how ben- beneficial they are compared to, um, you know, using the synthetic, uh, synthetic hormones. hormones. Yeah. yeah, so let's let's get one thing straight. Use of bioidentical hormones and use of synthetic hormones is the same idiocy, okay? It, 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 there's no difference between the, the level of idiocy as far as I'm concerned. That's like saying, hey, I'm going to use a synthetic poison versus a um, natural poison. Cyanide is a natural poison, but it'll still kill you dead like a synthetic poison will. So bioidentical hormones versus synthetic hormones and think that one's better than the other one is ludicrous. The whole point is you shouldn't be looking at uh, you shouldn't be trying to replace the hormones. You should be trying to figure out why are the hormones not being produced. That's the first thing. And then upregulate those organs to produce their own hormones. Because if you use a bioidentical hormone or a synthetic hormone, you are violating the negative inhibitory feedback loop, which is the design of the ultimate mm-hmm. engineer. And if you mess with Mother Nature, you're going to get spanked. That's basically what it comes down to. I don't care whether the person's using bioidentical or synthetic, you're going to create the same problem. It's, it's so, still uh, allopathic intervention. It's still forceful, violent action against the normalization from within. Exactly. Or optimization exactly. from within, yeah. And, and I think this Baylor study, then, this article you're talking about, is probably going along those lines because a lot of doctors will start using steroids, will start using cortisol and prescribe cortisol Right. to patients with the diagnosis of adrenal exhaustion. And this is a major, major issue. I have seen numerous patients by integrative doctors by being put on cortisol to help them with their adrenal fatigue, which is absolutely, categorically the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's talk about this. The first thing, Robert, you mentioned um, as you were talking about with the study is when, when we have adrenal exhaustion, we should be providing support to the adrenals. That doesn't mean by giving it cortisol, but by giving the minerals and the B vitamins that are being burned at an excessive rate when somebody's adrenally exhausted. So what mm-hmm. is adrenal exhaustion first? So, um, Robert, do you have a definition for adrenal exhaustion before I give mine? No, no, no. Go. go. Listen, we have a limited time in this segment. I want to make sure you get it out there, please. Okay. So adrenal exhaustion, there's a golden triad. These are the three things that if you have two of these three things, um, that if you have two of these three things, you, you have adrenal exhaustion borderline to, to having adrenal exhaustion. But if you have all three, you've got a major issue. Here are the three things. The first thing, you get up in the morning, and you have a very difficult time arising out of bed. If you have that, that's one of the three symptoms. Second, late in the day, 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, you just have this bottoming out. You, you, you just feel like somebody opened the tap and everything, all your energy has been drained out. And you sometimes the person will feel like they need a cup of coffee. Um, mm-hmm. Reclining back at least 45 degrees makes a person feel a lot better. Um, well, actually, taking a nap actually helps to rejuvenate the individual. But that 3 to 4, 5 o'clock surge, um, or, or dip, I should say, in mm-hmm. energy level, uh, almost fatigue, that's the second symptom. And then the third symptom is you miss your bedtime, whatever the bedtime, your normal bedtime is. If you miss your bedtime by more than 45 minutes, you get the second surge of wanting to solve all the world's problems, you know, world hunger and this yeah. that. You go out this is where they the often say you have adrenal fatigue and you can't sleep, which makes no sense on the surface because, wait, you're exhausted. How is it that you can't sleep? Well, exactly right. We're going to talk about that and 
question of the day on leukemia. We'll touch base next to that masked man was. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Robert Scott Bell. Here I come to save the day. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Okay, from, from adrenal fatigue to leukemia. That's where we go. In the show notes, Super Don posted a question of the day. This is from a woman named Beth. She's 67 years old, and she says, I am in very good general health. That's her first line. Basically, I'm Beth. I'm 67. I'm in very good general health. And then she proceeds to tell us she contracted AML a year ago, took rounds of chemo, Maintenance now went into remission, but her leukemia returned after only three months. And she's now looking at another round of chemo to go back into remission and then have a bone marrow transplant with the corresponding dangers. Now she's asking, what do you suggest I do or add to this regimen to help me fight this? And we were talking on the break with Dr. Batar, and I was like, eh, you know, I almost don't want to mention this because Beth, the first statement tells me almost all, everything I need to know. You say you're 67 and in very good health, yet you've been diagnosed with leukemia and you've gone through one round of chemo, etc., and it's back. There's a cognitive dissonance here, and it's not you, Beth. You're not the only one. This is like the fit-sick concept. And we can, I can whisper it to you because I, I like to be that kind, loving, and gentle, right? Dr. Batar, you know, we'll take that proverbial two-by-four, not literally, but figuratively. We talk about it. And I said this to Dr. Batar on the break. I said... You know, God tries to whisper in my ear and tells me, hey, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, and I don't listen, and then he'll send me that two-by-four, and somebody say, well, God really must not like you. No, God loves me enough to hit me over the head with a two-by-four exactly to wake me right. up. That's exactly and right. That's the point here. That's exactly right. And you see, Robert, what you just said, God sending that two-by-four, it's because we didn't hear that whisper. So for Beth, this, the message is that when you said, I am in good health, by definition, that is not accurate, because if it were accurate, you would not have acute myelogenous leukemia. So you need to look at what is good health, because obviously there was something going on that allowed your body to become susceptible to getting leukemia. Well, and if you're asking us, obviously something is, you're, you're intuitively or some way cognitively going, you know what, the doctors might not be my best option here that I've seen before, right? Because they will tell you, other than cancer, you're perfectly fine. And I, I make it's a, it sounds like a joke when you say it, but they do say it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so basically for somebody that has a diagnosis of acute myelogenous leukemia, for example, you know, what things should they be looking at? They, you should be finding a doctor that understands the importance of toxicity and how that, that toxicity can cause a blood discretion. Leukemia is nothing more than a blood discretion, and it's an imbalance of the various types of cells in your body. And why is it happening that way? But because the body's responding to some type of toxicity. So heavy metals, look, when, when you have leukemia, patients have patients that have leukemia always have opportunistic infections. They always have persistent organic pollutants. They always have heavy metals. And that's where we start. We deal with those three things in those patients. Just like in all our cancer patients, we, we clean up their systems, and then we help to rebuild their immune system and allow the body to recognize the cancer is being formed, and then the body takes over. So, again, start off at the basics. And this is like in trauma. When you're dealing with the trauma situation, an advanced trauma life support, the course that's taught to surgeons on how to deal with penetrating trauma and blunt trauma, you always go to the ABCs. And in advanced cardiac life support and pediatric advanced life support, 
uh, I was an instructor in all three of these programs. This is what we do. A, B, C. Always go back to the basics. If you forget what to do, if you don't know what to do, if you're, you know, somebody's got a cardiac tamponade or something like that or, or um, um, some type of uh, acute trauma that's going to kill them in a few minutes and you can't remember, go back to the basics. The basics are A, B, C, airway, breathing, circulation. In your case, with, with the t- way we practice medicine, go back to the ABCs. The ABCs are heavy metals, persistent organic pollutants, and opportunistics. Those are the first three of the seven toxicities. And you can go to facts on toxicity and learn about all the different seven toxicities. But you have a toxicity, probably multiple toxicities, possibly all seven of them. And until those are taken care of, the cancer will always be there. Yep. The nine steps to keep the doctor away. Uh, please get that book, Beth, and anybody else that doesn't have it yet. It's all in there. Uh, you know, we each have pieces of the puzzle, but he's put together a beautiful tapestry with lots of great stories, very moving as well, and I highly recommend it. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Batar, again, fascinating discussion. We go in, I have ideas, Super Don sends ideas our way, and then we end up in a completely different place. Not that it's a bad place, but it always ends up better. You know, I think, can we get that far? Can we go that? We do. It's, it's quite amazing. Those of you who haven't picked up, there are hundreds and hundreds of hours of archives MedicalRewind.com has been the place. You can still get them there. Eventually, they'll be up and running and searchable all of our hours together at AdvancedMedicine.com. That's coming soon. Well, Robert, it's, uh, it's, always a, it's always a thrill to do the shows, and it's funny because how fast this hour always goes, and I'm looking forward to doing this for another 10 years with you. Yeah, man. Well, we're doing it. Great job, Dr. Vitar. Way to go, Super Don. And <clears throat> Mackenzie on the board, rocking it as well. We appreciate you. Those of you who missed part of the show, all of it's valuable. Go back and go to archives at uh, GCN, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, UK Health Radio, SoundCloud, YouTube, and, of course, Medical Rewind, Advanced Medicine. Plenty of places to go. Get there and tell your friends. What are you going to tell them, Dr. Vitar? But the power to heal is unequivocally Scott yours. Robert, Scott Bell Show. Scott Bell Show.